0: Uh, Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a pretty old uh, tradition and season in the church. It's been celebrated officially since like the 6th century uh, AD, so it's been around uh, for quite a bit. It is a season of preparation. In an odd way, we're waiting for the birth of Jesus, which has already happened, Uh, so we're awaiting that time-warped, bending time thing that's already happened, Uh, but it is actually focused on preparing preparation is a good word, waiting. Uh, Advent just means arrival, that something is coming. And I think at the center of the season is really a question for each of us. And and that question is, am I making room uh, for uh, Christ's presence in my life? And that's really the Advent spirit. As Jeff just prayed, uh, the world has been running quite quickly towards December 25th since, I don't know, Halloween. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, You know, I went to Target to pick up Halloween stuff and ended up with a wreath. So there we go. But um, so it is. It is an opportunity for the church to move much slower, uh, not so quickly uh, to the manger, but more of a mindful journey. And uh, the readings that are selected for uh, the Advent season, year after year after year, always have always been strange. Uh, it always begins in the dark. Advent is always a dark, has a dark beginning, and it moves closer uh, to the light. Which I'm just reminded in saying the word light that we forgot to do Advent candles. So we're done. So we're done. Uh, just remembered. We'll make it up next week. That is our church in a nutshell, right there. We'll we will just we'll just double duty next week. Um, So, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for sticking around. Um, Yeah. Well, if you're not familiar with the church calendar, uh, there are selected readings for each Sunday of the year, and it moves in a three-year cycle, and each year has a gospel as its focus. And we're all the way back around to the beginning. And the gospel this coming church year is the the gospel of Matthew. And I love uh, Matthew's gospel. It doesn't mean I don't love the others, but I really do love this one. But again, it's kind of dark and dreary today, but I'll I'll try to bring something out of it for us. But uh, chapter 24 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read this, and we'll pray. And then uh, we'll get into a couple of things here that we can leave with this morning uh, as we enter into this month and this season. Uh, Starting with verse 36 and reading through 44, these are the words of Jesus. This is somewhat uh, extracted from a a larger context. All of chapter 24 should be read together. And this is the latter half, uh, the latter third, really, of some teachings about um, the end of life, the coming of heaven, all of these fun things. And uh, we, we pick it up here in verse 36, and Jesus continues to speak, saying, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows except Kirk Cameron. two men will be in the field one will be taken and one left two women will be grinding at the meal mill one will be taken and one left therefore stay awake say that stay awake for you do not know on what day your lord is coming but know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into therefore You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Father, as we step into this season of Advent, we pray that uh, these words of your Son will speak to us today and encourage us in some way. And it's in your name that we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, apocalyptic writings were very familiar, was a very familiar genre in and around the days of Jesus. Both Jewish and early Christian uh, followers understood and read and produced what we call apocalyptic literature. Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Um, It should not be read without supervision. Um, The reason I say that is because in those days, these words of Jesus make sense to them. For us, we have no close comparisons in literature And so we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions about what Jesus is saying or build doctrines or uh, book series or movie deals based on uh, what appears to be something about the second coming of Christ. But what apocalyptic teaching and literature is supposed to do is invite the listener and the reader into the images because it's filled with images. And the images are supposed to point us to realities. And so you can use the word metaphor, you can use the word image, you can use the word symbolism. And so Jesus here is teaching in this way. He is not, and I'll say this again in a moment, he's not saying that these things will happen in a literal sense. That you'll be at work and all of a sudden your co-worker is gone and you've been left behind. Uh, Which contrary to the book series... uh, being left behind appears to be the desired outcome in jesus teaching. If you get swept away well that 's a whole different story, uh, but again, not to focus on that is the important piece, but what is what is what is the image pointing to or the metaphors pointing to now a couple of background things that I think are helpful. The Gospel of matthew wasn 't written until maybe around the year eighty ah the eighties <laughs> and if you 're doing the math that 's about 50 years after the resurrection. I know we all think the disciples walked around with moleskins and took notes, but these things were not produced until decades later. And so we're talking about 50 years after the resurrection. And the resurrection is central to what it means to be a Christian. Without it, it's all just sort of interesting and maybe silly. But the resurrection is a central piece of the Christian story and the Christian faith. And what it said... To those people then and to these people that were receiving this uh, writing from Matthew and of course for us today, the resurrection came with this promise that there would be uh, a return. And 50 years after the resurrection, people are still waiting and waiting, frustratingly so. And the hope of Christ's return grows faint with time. And I think about that like we're 2,000 years down the road. I mean, oh, to have only been 50 years removed from the resurrection. You could still find people that saw it. You know what I mean? But we're just like, any day, Lord, any day. And so Matthew writes these words of Jesus. He writes in these words of Jesus to a generation growing less and less hopeful. Let that sink in urging them to hold fast the memory of Christ's resurrection and of the promise of his return. To stay awake is the key phrase and to live with a sense of readiness. You can also say, and this is a really dumbed-down version of some complicated apocalyptic teaching, Jesus is basically saying, keep your hand on the wheel. Don't lose sight of the journey Now, I don't, and I use the word always, it's key here. I don't always like surprises. Some surprises I love, but I don't always like surprises. Like with a clear conscience, in a haunted house, I will throw you in front of me. I don't care if you're injured, older than me, a child. You're going to work on that chainsaw that's coming at me. Uh, been married for many many years I always get the number of years wrong uh, 95 what does that make it 24 years is that right yeah so in those 24 years I've heard a couple times a year my wife say these words oh um my parents are coming this weekend <laughs> to which I always respond you mean tomorrow Friday they're coming tomorrow is what you're saying those words always come up, too, like when we're in the middle of something, like we're cleaning the house or we're preparing a meal or, you know, watching TV, and she waits for that moment. You know, we're like, he seems cool right now. Uh, guess who's coming tomorrow? Uh, so those are you know, surprises. Like I don't always like, but, again, I like some. Like if you drop by my house unannounced, I love that. If you come by the church office unannounced, that's great. If I'm in the car and you call or a friend calls, it. I love that. I do like some surprises, you know. Um, like when we go, we, we, when our family goes to Disney World, like we're not the kind of, and we've gone for years, but we're not the kind of Disney family that has like the whole thing charted out so that we get the most out of our experience. Uh, and that's not because we think that's a bad thing. It's just that no one in our family knows how to use Excel. <laughs> um, that's, why, that's why Lindsay works here. Um uh, <laughs> So we just we just decided that we just let Disney happen to us. That's totally fine. Uh, six Flags different story. I have an intricate plan to get in and get out as quick as possible. Okay, all right. <laughs> kind of thought that was going to be the golden the golden one, but uh, remember when Letterman would throw the cards and it would make the breaking glass? I love that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Overall, though, I don't enjoy uh, being surprised. And the surprise, of course, in this passage that Jesus is talking or teaching is the return of Christ, his return. And that's a thing that no one fully understands because the scriptures, even in their attempt to explain it, don't seem to understand it completely. And therefore, I choose not to worry about what that looks like. But the scriptures do talk about, and this is so important, a future point in time when all of creation is restored, or as our British friends say, put to rights. That everything that's wrong with the world gets fixed. This is a clear uh, description in the scriptures throughout. How Christ returns, how that looks, it's very foggy. But the end result is very crystal clear in the scriptures that the world returns to Eden. And Eden, of course, is a word that means it's more of a state of being than a location. To be in Eden is to be in the center of what God intended for all people. That's the image from the Isaiah text that Haley read for us earlier in the service, that God will, if you caught this, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Basically, there's a day coming when weapons of war are refashioned into tools for community and care. That's a beautiful image in the prophets. That in the midst of a violent time and an uncertain time that the prophet speaks, there's a day, who knows when, but God will turn weapons of war into tools for care and community. These words of Jesus are very heavy. He's pressing down and admonishing people to remember that coming day, which is odd. To not let their souls fall asleep or to lose memory of what they've witnessed or have been told. But to live with this daily awareness of God's presence and of God's good future. With no sense, with a, with a, and be careful not to do that without a sense of preparedness for Christ's return. To live with that daily awareness that God is here. He is among us. And when you read Matthew's gospel account, and you should, something you'll notice if you read closely enough is this comparison Matthew likes to make between the old world and the new world. Not British to America, but the old creation and the new creation. In Matthew, the old world is marked with hurt and pain and loss and justice and death. The new world in Matthew's gospel is marked with grace and love and life and, of course, resurrection. If you want a theological phrase, he's painting the difference between hell and heaven. And all of the New Testament writers deeply believed that in Jesus, the way he loved people, the way he lived with people, the way he healed people, the way he forgave people, all the ways he sacrificed himself for people, most notably in his death on the cross and, of course, ultimately in his resurrection, that in Jesus, in that, the future of God's good world was made visible. Heaven showed its hand in Christ. That when we look at Jesus, we're looking at what's coming. Theologians talk about how the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, ultimately the resurrection is the future was pulled back into the present so that the people in the early 1st century got a glimpse of what was coming for all things. Not just you and me, but for creation itself. And this is the hope of our faith. We're not saying the Nicene Creed today, the 4th century um, explanation of a set of beliefs that the church held. But the very last line of the Nicene Creed is, truly my favorite in all of the creeds that have been written. And it simply says that we look for the resurrection of the dead. That here's the story of God coming down through the creed and the explanation of all things, and then it just ends with simply saying, and we look forward and we look for the resurrection of the dead. And what Jesus is telling these people in this text and us today is something... Uh, to this effect that we are all living between two advents the birth of christ has already happened so we're not waiting for that if you are you're a couple thousand years late we are remembering that but we are beginning the season by focusing on the second advent and so we have this life that we live between the advents and that's not a life that's easy um In one of her sermons in 1986 in New York City at Grace Church, uh, Fleming Rutledge said this about Advent. Advent is where we live, work, play, laugh, struggle, and die. Advent is the time between. It's the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, between the darkness and the dawn, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, It's not the time of fulfillment. It is a time of waiting. It is not the time of seeing face to face. It's the time of seeing through a glass darkly. It's not the time of triumphant victory. It's the time of bearing the cross. And I think you can relate to that. I can relate to that. Living between the advents is not easy. We still have to contend with hurt and pain and loss and justice and death In the new world that's coming, that is marked with grace, love, life, and resurrection, we get glimpses of that here. Part of those glimpses are our responsibility. It's easy to forget and to live unaware of God's presence in our world and in our lives, but much of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to practice heaven here on earth, to live out the ways of heaven in the here and now of our world, and live as though we have a good handle on the future. So those glimpses of heaven, they, they fall on us as a responsibility in how we live. To be an Advent people is the challenge this season. And I think as we leave here today, in just a few moments really, we walk back out into December, we have this opportunity to, to live as an Advent people. What does that mean? Again, I think it means taking these marks of heaven and integrating them into our lives. Maybe for you, it's a season where you can practice grace to those in your life. I don't think anyone in here has grace nailed. I don't. But think about that. Who can I show grace to This week, and maybe you're asking, Well, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like it doesn't matter if the person you need to show grace to ever changes or not. You just are gracious. Sometimes we're gracious as a means to an end, but grace, as the Bible defines it, is God doesn't really care about the response, He cares more about His uh, initiative of grace in our lives. I mean, of course, he deeply cares that we understand that and that we grasp it, but he leaves that up to us. And so maybe for you, it's just learning to let go of um, some of the things that are present in the people in your lives that drive you crazy. And just as a aside, I mean, like, has anyone ever changed because it bothered you? <laughs> you know? Has rage ever worked? Except for Against the Machine, great band worked quite well. But honestly just for a couple of years. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't want to turn this into a musical college but like it burned out, you know? You may remember us, we were from Rage Against the Machine. Oh yes, that was that was scary. It was scary. It was good though. But it doesn't work not long term. And so maybe it's just you and I like committing over the next few weeks in this season just to be a people of grace. There's somebody in your life that needs forgiveness. Maybe that's how you practice heaven this month. Maybe that's how you show what's coming. And ultimately, what has already come in Christ, that people are forgiven. Maybe it's just lifting people up. You know, putting your arms around somebody that needs to be lifted up for whatever the reason may be. Or serving those in need. One of the things I love about our church is that you guys are always so fast to uh, sign up and lean into projects where we're serving people in need. I and mean, I got four spots left for Pride for Parents next week. That's it. So don't make a rush for it. It's it's fine. We got two full shifts loaded up. It's always impressive. But that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, I applaud you, but at the same time, that's what we're supposed to do. But surely there are people in your world every day that just need to be served, and maybe you can do that. If you work here in the city during the day and you walk past that one homeless guy every day, And you ignore him. Maybe this is the month you learn his name. I've been on this kick, and I'll close with this, but the church is, um, it, it really, truly is just practice. You know, we get to practice the ways of God, the ways of heaven here on earth. That's why we gather. That's why we do everything that we do. It's just, it's not to take over the world. It's to keep heaven in view and I think that even though living between the two advents is difficult and we can lose sight of God, I mean, listen, we're here. You're here today. And that's, uh, that's a step in the right direction of keeping heaven in view. And as a people, we are pronouncements of God's presence in places where people feel God forsaken. So I leave you with that today as a challenge and an encouragement. Let's be people of heaven in this Advent season. Amen.